So, hello and welcome to my podcast, Writing Muse and Writing Mentor. I'm Jeanette de Beauvoir, and today I'm going to talk about a subject that you're all very familiar with, I'm sure, writer's block. Except, let's start with the beginning. I don't call it writer's block, and I think that's not a useful way of looking at it. I prefer to speak of it as inertia, and I'll tell you why. Writer's block sounds like something that is external to you. Uh, When I hear it, I imagine walking down a lane and then seeing this big box blocking the way in front of me. That's what writer's block sounds like to me. The reality is that writer's block is something that's inside you. There's something in you that is making it difficult for you to move forward. Um, And it's actually a better way of looking at it from point of view of success because if it's something that's inside you, it's something that you can change. If it's that big boulder, that big box in the road, you can't change that. So let's, let's adapt it a little bit and think about it as something that is inner and that can have strategies applied to it that will help you get beyond it. And I think for that reason, um, the word inertia works a lot, a lot better. Um, We all tend to externalize things. It's my muse. My muse is dead. Well, no, she's not dead. You're not dead. Um, It's a matter of reaching inside and finding ways of coping. So I'm going to give you a whole bunch of those strategies here, and you can pick and choose which ones sound good to you, which ones sound like something that you could do or that that don't particularly sound like they, things that are interesting to you, up to you. Anyway, number one is assess your stage of writing. Let me explain this a little bit. I think, and many other people have different ideas about it, but I I put your writing projects into six stages. All right, the first stage is the research slash outlining slash plotting time. And this obviously covers a great deal of time. We're not talking about a single day, but it is really one action. It's getting ready to work. It's it's giving you the bare bones of what you're going to be writing. Um, Even those of us who don't outline specifically or particularly well, at least have an idea of where we want to be by the end of the book. So that's the first stage. Second stage is writing your first draft and um, just letting it go, letting it rip, write down whatever, pour out what comes from your heart and your soul and your mind about your topic or about the people in your story or about the story itself. Um, The third one is seeking feedback. I hope you all do this, whether you do it with a writer's group, a writing partner, whomever. You need to have some people read it and give you commentary. And then you start revising after you've had some space from it and after you've had some input from other people. And that revising, of course, can take several, several, several drafts. Um, But then you get to, to the fifth one, which is proofing. And this is often best done by someone else. Um, I don't believe that anyone self-edits particularly well. And although you will want to do your own self-editing rounds, I strongly suggest that you find someone to um, do an editing round outside of yourself. If you have a publisher already signed up, they probably will have a copy editor um, and even a developmental editor who will be working with you. But if you're working alone, Um, Do have someone help you with at least the proofing. And then finally, the sixth one is for it to go off to the publisher or for you to self-publish. 
Now, I bring these up here because I think that it's really easy to get ahead of yourself in a, in a couple of these places, and that can make it much more difficult for you to keep the forward momentum that you need for your writing. For example, during your first draft, um, a lot of people, myself included, are tempted to edit along the way. Oh, 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 I see this word back there. It's not quite the right word. Let me go back and fix it. Well, what that does is it takes you out of the moment of moving forward with your story and you go back, you fix a word, you come back to where you were and you're not in the same space. Even if it's a matter of minutes, you are not in the same space you were before. The first draft needs to be horrible. It can be punctuated poorly. It can be spelled poorly. It doesn't matter. What the first draft is, is you pouring out what you have onto the paper, onto the computer, that you will go back and revise and revise and revise. But don't try to incorporate two steps into one. You can pair up any of these and it is guaranteed um, to stop your forward momentum. So that's number one, assess your stage. The second strategy I wanna give you is one that sounds simple, but apparently a lot of people find it very difficult. I am constantly telling this to my students and my clients, and I'm still not sure anybody believes me, but you have to make writing a priority. What does that mean? It does not mean that you have to get up in the morning and write first thing, although that's what I do, and I think that works for a lot of people because then you're never worried during the day, oh, I didn't get to my writing. Um, but what I'm saying is you need to reserve time that is specifically for your writing and not let anything else short of natural disaster stop you from it. We tend to think of writing as a hobby, as something sweet, as something we like to do. And that's not helpful because even if you're not a professional writer, if you, take, if you treat it as a professional, then it will improve. And your feelings about yourself as a writer will improve. Just make it a priority. Don't let anyone else pull you away from it. That's number two. Number three, try micro writing. Now let me talk about this a little bit. You've probably read the wonderful Bird by Bird book. I think most writers have. It's, it, and if you haven't gotten by it, it's so worth it. But at the beginning, um, she's talking about how her brother, her kid brother, came home from school with this report to write about all the North American birds. And of course he left it until the last minute and was panicking. It was so overwhelming. I have to write about all the North American birds. And their father sat down with him and said, it's okay, we'll just take it bird by bird. And that's brilliant advice for all of us, I think, because anything can be overwhelming when you look at it as a whole. Oh my goodness, I have this entire novel to write by September. How is this going to happen? And that freezes you. It means that you're not thinking creatively. Um, you're not thinking lyrically. You're thinking in fear. You're in panic. So setting micro goals, small pieces of writing, um, when you don't feel like writing or when you're feeling overwhelmed is a great way to get over it. It can be as small as, I'm going to get a paragraph done today. And then you've got this paragraph and that sometimes will jumpstart you but even if it doesn't you have the accomplishment of having a paragraph today and maybe tomorrow you can have two paragraphs and you can do that with any chunks of the work that you have to do with the project that you're working on it doesn't matter it 
gives you that lift, that little ego lift that, yes, I have accomplished something, but it's small enough that you know you can. I'm not going to sit down and say, I'm going to write a novel today, but I can sit down and say, I'm going to write a chapter today. So try microwriting. The kind of other extreme of that that also can be helpful to some people, and this really is your personality type we're talking about here and the way you write, but you can also set a word goal for yourself. I'm going to keep writing until I reach 500 words. It doesn't mean that they're going to be 500 fantastic words, but it means there'll be 500 words here. That, the kind of people who are sort of deadline driven and who work well with goals, this is a wonderful way to sort of keep going and keep building on what you did the day before. That's why um, November as National Writing Month, National Novel Writing Month, excuse me, is so popular because if you, if you sign up for that and you've got your project started, um, you're going to do 50,000 words in one month, which comes down to about 16, I think, 100 words a day. Um, it sounds like a lot. But it's doable. A lot of folks have gotten their novels done that way, at least the first draft of their novels done that way. And what it does is it keeps you to that particular goal. I am not going to get up. I'm not going to stop today until I've reached my 1600 words. Obviously, these are not going to end up in the final manuscript, but because you're going to go back and edit them and change them and maybe even change the story. But again, it's just the first draft is just so essential to let your story live, to let your story manifest, to put your story out there. Um, so whether you get there by micro writing or by setting a word count goal or a mixture of the two is entirely up to you. Next strategy, find a way of making yourself accountable to someone else. Um, some people advocate something called a creative support team. I'm not sure I can really rally that many people around me to keep me accountable, but I have worked very well with a writing partner, not necessarily someone you're writing with, but someone who knows what your project is and what your goals are, and you know what their project is and what their goals are, and you make sure that you're sort of ha hanging in there with each other. So for instance, I might say, on Tuesday, I'm going to write 500 words, and I'll tell my writing partner that. And then on Tuesday afternoon, I'll get a call. So how are your 500 words coming? And if I'm saying, oops, that's good, because that means I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do the 500 words then. That's a very small example, but it's a really great thing to have someone else external to you who doesn't listen to the same excuses that you do. I can procrastinate. I can feel like the muse is gone. I can't think of what to say. I don't know what happens next in the novel. I find it much harder to whine at somebody else than it is to whine at myself. So think about getting that sort of accountability. I have a friend who um, it belongs to a group where on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they not only check in with each other via Zoom, but they check in once an hour. So you're saying to this group, all right, here's what my plan is for the day, and here's what my plan is for the next hour. And then that next hour, you have to say whether or not you did it. Frankly, that would make me a crazy woman, but it works for my friend. And you might think about adapting that in some way um, if this is something that appeals to you. The next strategy I want to give you is creating a cliffhanger. This is not the same cliffhanger that you want to write as a writer for your reader to turn the next page, 
but it's I think it's Norman Mailer, I'm not positive, but I think it's Norman Mailer who first suggested this, that when you are writing and you are in the flow and when you know what happens next and it's going really well, that's when you want to stop, believe it or not. Because then when you go back to it the next day, if you stopped in the middle of a sentence, if you stopped in the middle of a dialogue, if you stopped in the middle of a paragraph, if you stopped in the middle of a chapter, you are able to enter right back into that space and move it forward. Whereas, let me push myself to finish this chapter. All right, tomorrow when I sit down, oh gosh, I got to remember what happened just before this. Let me reread that chapter. That's a little tedious. It's important work, but it's tedious. Um, And I think it's so much easier. And I, I find this works for me every single time. If I can say, okay, yeah, I could write for another five minutes, but you know what? I know what happens after this, so let me stop here. Because that means that tomorrow, since I know what happens after this, I'll be able to put that down and then I can keep going from there. The forward flow will already be in, 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 in action, in motion, so to speak. So create cliffhangers. Um, Another strategy I'd like to suggest is to finish what's unfinished. Think for a second about what you have on your hard drive or or in your notebooks or in your journals or whatever of all the things that you started and didn't finish. So, for instance, you might have a poem that started out great, but no, not so much. So you put it away and you might have a short story that's a wonderful short story until the last page because you don't really know how it ends. I give you those two examples because I have several of those on my hard drive. <laughs> but we all have things that we haven't finished for one reason or another that it didn't work or, or, you know, I just am not feeling it anymore or whatever it is. I suggest that if you're stuck with your current project, you might go back and look at a couple of those. Um, one of the things I've been talking about recently is the Japanese art of kintsugi which is essentially taking a bowl or a vase or some sort of vessel, a plate that's been broken, pottery that's been broken, and repairing it, but not with regular glue. It's repaired with a kind of gold epoxy. And the finished, so, so in other words, you're really highlighting the breakage um, rather than trying to hide it. And the finished bowl with this gold running through it is generally far more beautiful than the original pot was. Well, why I'm telling you this is I applied Kintsugi to this idea of finishing the unfinished. And I looked up one of my old stories that I hadn't thought much about and hadn't finished. And I tried to look at it with love rather than with judgment and was able to, okay, I think I can fix this. I can, And I did end up with the part I liked the least before becoming the most important part to me. That was the gold of the Kintsugi master going into that story. And the thing is, once you've done that, and by the way, I did get that story published. So obviously there's, there's hope for some of our older, older projects. But once you finish something that was unfinished, You've got such a lovely feeling of accomplishment and feelings of accomplishment really do spur us to do more, to be better, to go on. The other thing about something that's unfinished is, well, you may think it's just sitting in a folder on your desktop or on your, in your physical desk or in your hard drive somewhere. It's more than that. The things that we start and we don't finish, we carry them inside us too. 
So you are weighed down by all those words, all those ideas, all those characters that are clamoring for, though, though you don't know it, but they are clamoring to get finished, to get out there, to go out into the world. And if you could send them out into the world, you would be lifting yourself. You would be lifting this weight out of your soul and your mind and your spirit, and you'd be able to better dedicate yourself to the next project. And finishing something also means valuing yourself and your work. Um, if you leave a lot of things just partway done, unfinished, wasn't worth pursuing, um, in some ways what you're saying to yourself is, I'm not worthy. My work isn't good enough. And sometimes your work isn't good enough. That's true. But most of the time, if you go back to something and look at it, you really can fix it. You can be a kintsugi master. So give that some thought. My second to the last strategy is one that I do not do enough of. Um, so do as I say, not as I do, but it is to get physical. If you sit there and stare at the screen long enough and say, I have no idea what happens next, you could do that for three hours. What people say works <laughs> is to get up and go out. Do something else, even if it's just going into the next room and doing jumping jacks or walking around the block or taking a little bicycle spin, something of the sort. What you want to do is reoxygenate yourself um, because it can get, we, we tend to sit in bad positions when we're working and we don't breathe out of out of our diaphragms as deeply as we should. So this gets you to do that. It gets some endorphins running around. Um, it gets you to breathe better and then you sit down and you're in such better physical space for writing that that, I, while I don't think alone it's going to jumpstart your creativity, I think it's really going to help. I should really listen to myself, shouldn't I? And the last strategy I'm going to give you today is um, got to be my favorite because I've been practicing it, oh, since I was probably four years old, and that is daydreaming. Now think for a minute about what happens to us at night. At night when we dream, what happens is our brains look at all the content that we've been throwing at them during the day. Um, things that we read, things that we think about, people we talk to, um, events that occur. All these things get jumbled up in there and come out in some really, really strange ways, as you know if you remember any of your dreams. Well, what if we could do that but with a little bit more guidance in the daytime. So if you could daydream by just sitting there and thinking about just letting your brain drift over your day. Who did you talk to? What did you think about? What books did you read? What did you write? What did you see? What did you hear? What did you taste? If you can just sit with those and just think about those things, um, they can inform your writing. They give you a break from it. But they also, as you know, if you, if you remember your night dreams, you can come up with some vivid, vivid images and ideas. And you can also do that with your daydreaming. You can also direct it some and try to daydream about a character or a situation in your book. I found that that works a little less well than just trying to um, absorb and sort of um, reflect on events that happen in your life. But your mileage may vary for this and for all of these. But that's it for me for today. Um, I'm Jeanette de Beauvoir. This has been Writing Muse and Writing Mentor. Um, we're talking about things that block our creative flow. And again, 
Today's podcast was about inertia. And if you can try to think about writer's block in terms of this inner inertia rather than the external writer's block, I think you'll be a lot closer to vanquishing it. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.